0: In the mid-1800s, there was uh, a group of travelers that decided they were going to move to the West Coast. They were going to go to California to seek their fortune, to, to find a better life. And back in those days, you did it through wagon train. Maybe you played the game Oregon Trail, if you're old like me. Um, but they that's what they did. They they went on the trail, and it was a hard trail. It was, it was difficult getting water at certain spots. Well, this group uh, decided they weren't going to take the well-worn, used trail that was popular uh, and successful. It was a little bit too long. They were going to take a shortcut. The shortcut they were told was going to go faster. Uh, The shortcut they said was as easy. There were certain ways. And this kind of shady trail guide said he had done it. He had been there and done it and he could lead them through. Well, this group, they got to where, you know, it was time to move forward and they were waiting for this trail guide. He didn't show up. He was leading another group on ahead and he sent word back saying, well, just go anyway and we'll meet on the way. So they continued. They went on, and, and they got stuck in some spots. It wasn't what he said it was. They got to areas where it was way more difficult. They were going to have to clearing a path for themselves. Anyway, it took way longer than they expected. By the time it got time to pass through the Sierra Nevadas, it was late October. Way too late. As they went through, a storm hit one of the worst, and they got stuck. And maybe you know the story of the Donner Party, but only half made it out. What was their problem? Wrong information. They had the wrong information. If they would have had the right information, they would have taken the other path. They would have left earlier, but they had wrong information. They acted on it and it killed half of them. In a similar way, today we're going to be talking about sin. Why do we sin? As Jesus followers, why do we sin? Wrong information. Even if you're not a Jesus follower, Why do you sin? Well, you have to because you're not a Jesus follower. Uh, You're you're stuck in it. But why do we sin? Wrong information. We're going to be in James. So turn there. We have notes on the app if you want to follow along or or as you came in. But we're going to be going through James. We're in chapter 1. But last week, James was talking about trials. And he said, consider it joy when you encounter various trials. Now, we said that doesn't mean... Pretend like it's awesome, you know, like that uh, that commercial where people spill coffee and they're like, "Yes!" Yeah! so they run into a glass door and oh, I'm so glad. No, it's we consider it joy because, as James talked about in the first 12 verses, we know that trials, God is going to use them to produce something in us. That trials are a test of faith, which is a good thing. Even if your faith is revealed to be lacking, that's a good thing because you run to Jesus and, and hopefully you, you grow in your faith. If you were here last week, David was up here chiseling through the sermon, talking about trials are supposed to make us into the image of Jesus. Well, this was what was underneath that. Um, he's a pretty good carver, isn't he? So, but, but the, the point is, you know, we are just kind of this, this block. But God is chipping away. And one of the things he uses is trials, chipping away to reveal his son in us to reveal what He wants us to be. And each of us is made uniquely in God's image. And each of us, God wants to use for His purposes, but He has to do some things with us to make us usable. He has to change us, which is a good thing. And if you are a Jesus follower, if you have believed in Jesus Christ as Lord, committed to follow Him, believed that He died on the cross and rose again, then there's a part of you, even if you try and ignore it, that wants to be like Jesus. There's a part of you that just aches for God's glory. But yet... There's also another part of you that is kind of drawn to sin, isn't it? I mean, I'm not going to have a show of hands, but we all still struggle with sin. And so this morning, James is going to move from trials to temptations. And again, why do we sin? So this morning, we're going to look at the process of temptation to sin, but we're going to see the things that we need to know when we're tempted to sin and then the things that we need to do in response to those temptations. Now, verses 1 through 12, I'm going to start with verse 12. We looked at this last week, but it says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This verse is somewhat of a transition between what he just said and what he's about to say, but he says, In trials, stand firm. If your faith is tested, lean on Jesus. Show your faith strong. Lean on Jesus. He'll show up for you. And the more you do that, it's like working out. It's like building a muscle. You, you, you flex that, that faith muscle and it gets bigger. Next time, it's easier to have faith. It's quicker because God shows up. So you test that. And if you last to the end, you will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, there's, there's a debate of what this crown is. Some say this is salvation. But if if this crown is just salvation, it's not something you can earn. It's a gift by Jesus Christ for what he's done. We're saved not by our works. We're saved by his works on the cross, dying and rising again. So, So this crown, although it is a gift of life, if we persevere... He already persevered and earned that. So it's better to see this as rewards. There's actually five or so crowns in the New Testament that we see are going to be rewards for believers of how they live their life. So I don't know if you knew this, but you're going to stand before the judge in the end. Non-believers will stand before the judge and they will be judged for their sin. A book will be opened and they will be judged according to their sin. Believers are going to stand before the judge and he's going to open the book and he's going to judge us based on our actions, but not for sin. He's not going to bring those up. We just sang about that. Those are as far as the East is from the West. He's going to look for rewards. And so our actions here receive rewards. It's, it's okay. That's all over in the New Testament, but we want to live a godly life partly because of the rewards that we will receive in eternity. But now he transitions. So trials, now he's going to move to temptations. Let me read verse 13 through 18. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that You would illuminate our hearts and our minds to what You want to communicate here through James that we would understand what we need to know, and God, that we would be empowered by your Holy Spirit to to live in response, to live in obedience. God, and, and you've promised blessing. For those who endure through trials, there is blessing. That means your favor. We want your blessing. So God, bless us as we learn. Bless us as we seek to obey, as we seek to be filled with your Spirit and have you live in and through us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So... It's an interesting transition because the word trials and the word temptations is the same word in Greek. But the translators translate it differently because clearly James has a different idea now. Because the first, the whole concept of verses 1 through 12 with trials are from God. God allows trials. They're good for you. They mold you into His image. But if a trial is a temptation to sin, that's not from God. And so now he transitions and he's talking about temptations. And so we need to know some things... So that we can be successful in temptation. So, what do we need to know? Now, if you are a, one of those type A personalities, really go in order. we're not gonna go in perfect order, so bear with me. But what do we need to know, and then what do we need to do? Here's the first thing we need to know verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. What do we need to know? The temptation is not from God. That's a big deal. How often have you blamed God for your sin? It's kind of in our nature now because it started at the beginning. Do you remember Adam and Eve in the garden? And they were they were you can eat of any tree, you can do whatever you want. The one thing you can't do is eat from that one tree. Well, Satan tempted them. Eve ate, Adam was with her, she gave to him, he ate. God came and he found them later. You know, they were hiding from him. They knew they had sinned. God came and he he addressed Adam first because Adam was the first one to receive the instruction, do not eat from the tree. Now remember, that tree, just like any trial for us, it could be a trial or it could be a temptation. For them, it was a test of faith. I mean, if, if there was no test of faith, what would prove faith to be genuine? What would prove their love for God to be genuine? So he put that test there to prove their faith. Well, it turned into a temptation they ate. And do you remember when God confronts Adam? He says, what have you done? What did he say? He's like, the woman. The woman ate. And then it's like he, he had an idea. The woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit to eat. So he blames her. Then he blames God. So the very first sin, he blames God. God, this is your fault. Then he turns to Eve. Well, Eve's like, well, the snake was very persuasive. You know? So she blames the, the serpent. She blames the devil for tempting her. Obviously, we know what happens, but there's this tendency in us to pass the blame. I think that's pride. I know in in my heart, there's this tendency to not uh, accept blame. In our house, maybe you're like this. If somebody trips over something, immediately they want to know who put it there. You know, it's somebody else's fault for putting that right there and made me fall, rather than it's my fault because I wasn't looking where I was going. But we have this tendency, and, and that's what can happen with sin is you can be tempted and you can have the tendency to go, this temptation is from God. Or you can blame him or you can get bitter because of that. But we need to understand God does not tempt. He never tempts. He's never tempted. I, I like the way it says that. God isn't tempted by evil and he doesn't tempt. Sin isn't even in his realm. There's nothing nothing sinful in him or around him. This makes our God different from most other religions. Most other religions, you know, especially the pantheistic religions, their gods have faults. Their gods have sin. Their gods go through things like that, but not ours. Not the one true God. Now, there's something else we need to know. But I want to answer one question because you're probably saying, okay, if the temptation doesn't come from God, where does it come from? Look at the next verse. Verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured And enticed by his own desire. Now, we're gonna look at this a little bit later, but where does temptation come from? From within us, our own desire. Yeah, the Bible calls it the flesh. The NIV translates that sinful nature. There's something inside of us that has a propensity to go away from God towards sin. That's the flesh. That's the desire that he's talking about. Some translations call this lust. Because a desire to go away from God is a lust. Whether it's for for anything can be called a lust. So that desire is within us to sin. So God isn't the tempter, but there's something within us. But we're going to come back to that because I want to continue. What do we need to know? What do we need to know to have success when we're tempted? Move forward a little bit. Verse 17. Verse 16 says, Do not be deceived. So he's saying, You need to know something. Don't be confused. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What do we need to know? God is good, and everything good comes from Him. We need to know that. We need to know God doesn't tempt, but He gives good gifts. I love reading through Scripture and just seeing the way this is described. There's places where it talks about, you know, in, uh, in Luke, the gospel writer is talking, and Jesus is teaching, and, and he says, ask God for what you want. Ask him. He's a good father. You know, you humans, you evil people, if, uh, if your son comes up to you and asks for an egg, you're not going to give him a scorpion. You know, if they come ask for something else, you're not going to give him a snake. He said, God is even better than you. He wants to give good gifts. So everything good comes from God. God wants what's best for us. Now, because of bad earthly fathers or because of bad religious experiences, a lot of people have a tendency to think that God is is up there just waiting to punish or or He's waiting to discipline. He wants us to stumble and fall, but it couldn't be any more opposite. As I was thinking, you know, today's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, fathers. But as I was kind of thinking through this, in this area, God is more like a mother than, than a father. Now, we Parent differently, typically mothers and fathers. And, and mothers are the type that, you know, if the kid is going to go touch the hot pot, they want to protect him, and dad's like, let them do it. You know, they'll learn quicker that way. But, but moms are more of the, you know, cherish and love. There's just something loving about a mother. want to hold them close. God, in this way, I think is kind of like a mother. Picture a, a mother with a child. You know, they give birth through a lot of pain. They bring this life in, into the world. Then as that child grows, they do whatever they can to make that child successful. Isn't that true, mothers? You know, fathers, were not quite that same way. But mothers, they will bend over backwards. They'll work 18 hours a day, whatever it takes to make this kid successful. They will provide for this kid. They will put this kid in piano lessons and then run him over to gymnastics, whatever, to give this kid the experiences they need because they love them. When, when the kid falls and skins his knee and dad says, get over it, mom wants to come and, you know, touch it up and hug him and squeeze him. In this way, I think God is kind of like a mother in that He looks at us, His children, and He loves us. He only wants what's best for us. And trials is part of that because He knows what's best for us is if we're like Jesus. So He'll allow trials for us to go through to become like Jesus, but He'll provide the things that we need. I remember when Brendan went to Panama years ago, our initial prayer was God protect him. Protect him. And then after a couple of days, we said, no, God, don't protect him. Give him what he needs to be more like you. Because the Bible teaches trials are one of those things that help us to become like Jesus. But God is like a mother providing. Remember, maybe parents, when your kids started to walk and they were walking and they'd trip and fall. You never got on them for tripping and falling, did you? You pick them back up. You help them along. You know, a lot of times when we are tempted and we sin, we feel like God hates us now, but really we're kind of like a child learning to walk and God wants to help pick us back up, teach us and go with us. You know, God's never gonna throw a pillow in front of us while we're learning to walk. Yeah, that's something dads do. Uh, but a mother's never gonna do that. Do you guys ever play that game? Toddlers run in circles and you're just trying to throw the pillow. At. Anyway, <laughs> moms don't do that. Um, and God doesn't do that. God isn't trying to trip up Us, as we're trying to walk through this life, He's providing for us. He's loving us. Here's here's the point that I want us to get here. God is good. God loves you. Do you realize that? God adores you. God cherishes you. And He wants only what's best for you. We need to know that. Last week, we saw a verse in the Old Testament where it says, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth to find a heart that's completely His, so he can show himself strong in support of them. God wants, he's looking for people that belong to him. He's looking for people that love him, that tremble at his word so he can bless them. That's what he wants to do. We need to know that. God wants to bless us. He wants to chisel away at us to create the masterpiece. Now here's something else we need to know in this verse. Verse 17, every good gift comes from God. From the Father of Lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. The Creator God does not change. God does not change. This is a big deal. As you look through church history, you look at religion, a lot of times things change in the church. Right now, for the last couple decades, morality in the church is changing. People are trying to change what the Bible says about morality. God doesn't change. If he says it here, he meant it then, and it still applies now. Why? Because that's best for us. God does not change. We need to know that God does not change, meaning he's stable. He's secure. You can always run to him. You know how he's going to respond. He's going to respond with love, with forgiveness, possibly with discipline because he's loving. But he does not change. This is something that is a big difference. So if you're not familiar with religions, there's three monotheistic religions in the world. Judaism, which leads to Christianity, Christianity, and then uh, Allah. But with Allah, with the Muslims, they believe that Allah is, is unpredictable. They don't know what he's going to do. He can change. He can, from one year to the next, he can, so they never know what, what's going to happen with him. Our God is stable. You can always come to him. He will not change. He will not ask something different from you than what he originally did. We need to know that. And he talks here about the stars. And the picture is kind of cool of of shadows due to change. You know, when the sun comes up and it goes across the sky, the shadows move and change. Are there shadows on the sun? I mean, I, I don't know, but probably not. It's the source of the light. Well, God created the sun. He's the source of all that. So he doesn't change, although other things do. He's stable throughout. And there's one other thing we need to know before we talk about what we do. Verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God's greatest gift to us is that of eternal life, new birth. That's the picture he's giving here of birth. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word. That's birthing terms. God gave birth. To us, spiritual birth, new birth. Remember when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. You know, you don't need to follow this religion, all these rules. You need to be born again. He says, how can I enter back into my mother's womb and be born again? He says, no, you need to be born of water and the spirit. You need to come to Jesus and have a new birth. That's what we need. But what I like about this is it says, of his own will, he brought us forth, verse 18, of his own will. Do you get that? God chose you. Jesus chose you on purpose. Nobody made him. Nobody forced him to do it. He looked down and for some reason he looked at you and went, "I want that one." I want he chose you. He could have chose somebody else. He could have not chose you, but he chose you. That's humbling. That's a big deal. When tempted to sin, to remember, God chose me, Jesus died for me, I belong to him, he adores me and loves me. He wants what's best for me. That's a deterrent to sin. He chose us. Before we look at what we need to do, I want to read 1 Corinthians 10.13. Because we're talking about temptation to sin. God is a good God. He chose us. He wants what's best for us. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know, some people use this verse to say, God won't give you more than you can handle. Well, I would say when it comes to trials, God will give you more than you can handle because that's a good place to be. It means you have to run and rely on him. You have to be dependent on him. But when it comes to temptations to sin, God will never give you more than you can handle. He will always provide a way out, meaning we don't have to sin. We don't have to sin. There is a way to avoid it. There is a way to get out that God provides. He doesn't provide the sin. He doesn't provide the temptation, but he does provide the way out. So these are the things we need to know. Now, what do we need to do? Look back at verse 14, 14 and 15. Here we see the process of temptation to sin to death. And we learn a lot as we look at this, Uh, says uh, verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The temptation is when something that's already in us is, is teased out. Uh, Lured. It's a picture of fishing. Uh, These are both fishing and hunting terms here used uh, as he says, what is it? Oh, there it is. Lured and enticed. It's the picture of something being dangled out there. God isn't the tempter. But there's something, a desire in us that can be tempted by either the world or our flesh. It doesn't need to be from outside, but also the devil. The devil is the tempter. He does try and tempt us to sin, but he does it by something already existing in us. That flesh already in us, Satan can act and try and tempt it. The world, it's against what we believe. The world is going to try and lead us astray. So these temptations come. But we recognize that the source of temptation is never God. It's within us our own desires. We could lock ourselves in a cave somewhere and we could still sin there because the temptation is within us. The desires are within us. I'm the problem. Here's what is great about this. When I recognize I'm the problem and I need help, it destroys my pride. And it allows me to go to God and ask for help. Last week, if you remember, we talked about asking God for his wisdom, but you ask without doubting. You ask without doubting. And that little piece where we said, where Jesus cast out the demon out of the the man's son and the the man said, if you can cast out this demon, do it. He said, if? Anything's impossible if you believe. And he said, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's where it comes to here. We must believe and even ask God to help us in our unbelief. What is sin? Sin is unbelief, isn't it? Sin is not believing what God said is true. If you really believed that what God said was what God said is true about whatever it is, you wouldn't sin. But in that moment, for some reason, there's a piece that goes, I, I don't believe you, God. I believe this sin is going to give me what I need. Or I believe this is gonna be more fulfilling at the moment. It's a belief issue. At Cowboys Rest, it's a camp out outside of Elko. My favorite place to fish is up on the Blob Tower when the Blob's not there. But you're about 20 feet above the water, and so you can see all the fish swimming down below, and you can, you know, drop, drop the bait, and then you can move it, and you can put it right in front of the fish, uh, and you can see if they're hungry or not. They'll come over and grab it. It's kind of hard to reel it up 20 feet when you're up there. But, but you see the picture of what he's talking about here is the fish is just swimming along. It's just going, but then it sees something. It's like, ooh, maybe I want that. It's the same with us. We're going through life. We're, we're pursuing God. We're trying to walk in the Spirit, but then something happens. Maybe it's financial issues. Maybe it's a trial that is a temptation to sin. Financial issues, you're tempted to cut corners. You're tempted to cheat on something. Uh, Maybe it's in business. You're tempted to, again, cut corners or cheat as an employee. Maybe you're tempted to slack off, to not provide. Whatever it is, there's this temptation. And so we go and we can maybe check out that lure. But the point here, too, is temptation is not sin. And I think James wants us to get that, that we're tempted, and he goes through this process. He says, that We are tempted when we are lured and enticed by our own desire. But it's when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. The temptation is not sin. Do you get that? A lot of times, we might go through with a sin because we think we've already sinned. Jesus was tempted, yet without sin. The Bible says he was tempted in every way that we were yet without sin. Temptation is not sin. How often do we hear people say things like, well, it's just who I am. I'm an angry person. Or we find our identity in a sin. And and in this day and age, there's a lot of identity being found in sin. God made me that way. Well, God didn't make you that way. God made you in his image. and, And we are born in sin because our parents sinned and their parents sinned all the way back to Adam. But God wants what's best for us. And so we are not Our sin. We don't have to give in. So we recognize that temptation is not sin, but right there, here's what you do you recognize that moment of choice. There's a moment there when you see the lure and you recognize it, and you're tempted to sin. And you can sin even by dwelling on it beyond that point, or you can sin by moving forward and taking action on whatever the temptation is, but temptation is not sin. So recognize the moment of choice. Then choose to believe God's gifts are better. Again, look back with me at verses five and six. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you ask God for his wisdom, he'll give it to you. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. The picture there is of somebody, I'm going to trust God, I'm not going to trust God. I I think the sin will fulfill me. No, I'm going to follow. And you're just kind of tossed back and forth. The way we have success is knowing these things about God. He doesn't tempt. He loves us. He wants what's good. He only gives us good things. And there is a way out. And so we believe that what he said is true. We believe Here we see this process. We're tempted when we're lured and enticed by our own desire. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. I like what one commentator said. It says, when these desires receive the ascent of the will, sin is born. When these desires receive the ascent of the will, sin is born. When we give in. But there's a moment there. There's a moment when we recognize I'm being tempted. I could go sin way. I could go God's way. I'm going to believe God's way is best, and I choose this way. By the way, if you're anything like me, this is kind of like trials. It's a practice thing. Maybe there's sin you've dealt with for a long time, and the more you go the other way, the easier it is to go the other way. The easier it is to go God's way as you recognize and you choose immediately. The longer you start to dwell on whatever that is, man, you're just moving toward that bait. You're going to bite it. Quickly go the other direction. Recognize that moment of choice. But then here's what happens. We're tempted. We bite the lure. It creates sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Again, there's a lot of debate over what this is talking about, death. But we know clearly in Ephesians, it says, For the wages of sin is death. Sin leads to death. Physical death, we know that we're all mortal because of sin. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, and because we've sinned, we will die physically. But also sin leads to eternal death. And so there's an aspect here where we have to wrestle with that. There's some fear that should be in us of eternal punishment, but not if we belong to Jesus. So there's somewhat of a tension. And and this is helpful for those in the church, for those who claim to be Jesus followers, but then they go, yeah, well, I'm okay with this sin in my life. Like, this part is okay. That person should be scared of eternal punishment. But if you wrestle with sin, welcome to the club. (laughs) If you recognize sin is sin and you don't want it, but you're wrestling with it, that's the Christian life. And we learn to go his way. But sin, as it becomes a pattern of life, as we give into it and allow it to have control over us, leads to death. And really that death is the opposite of the blessing in verse 12. The blessing in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial or temptation. Blessed, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. Giving in to sin leads to death. Saying yes to Jesus, believing Him, leads to blessing. Galatians 6, 7 kind of reiterates this. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. God is not mocked. You know, I've encountered this quite a few times in my life of, well, one, when I was in college, I was working with this guy at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, and he was, he studied Song of Solomon, and he was using that to seduce women. Um, Yeah, it's the craziest thing. I sat there like, what? He said, oh, yeah, there's great things in the Bible that teach you, you know, how women think. I'm like, this is horrible. I said, do you actually believe what, he said, yeah, I believe it. You believe Jesus died on the cross? Yeah, I believe it. What are you doing? He's like, God will forgive me later. He's like, yeah, probably later in life, I'll ask for forgiveness. He'll forgive me. And I'm probably going to be a pastor or something. I said, you probably aren't. <laughs> I hope not. But, but he, was, he was willfully going, I know this is true. I want to do this for a while. And I've heard that repeatedly. I know this is true. But for a little while, I'm just going to pursue sin. Oh, that is a scary place to be. Because the Bible says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. God is not gullible. He's not there going, well, at least they'll come back someday. No, God is. they're saying, hey, I love you. This is not best for you. You better come back quick. You keep going that way, the end is death and possibly eternal death. God is not mocked. That's what James is saying here. The book of James, uh, throughout church history, there are some who wished it wasn't in the Bible. Martin Luther was one of them. They wished it wasn't in there because it sounds like it's faith by works. It sounds at times, and Paul's going to be teaching on that passage later, so you don't want to miss that. It's going to be great. Can't wait to hear what he says. But it sounds at times like James is saying, you are saved by your works, but he's not. James is consistently teaching that not faith by works, but faith that works. If your faith is real, it's going to show up. We cannot have this sinful life and look like the rest of the world and think that we're actually saved. James says, no, it's going to come through. It's going to come through. If you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, if you're dipped, you're, you're made different. It's kind of like a white shirt. You you baptize it, you dip it in a red dye, it's gonna come out red, it's gonna look different. James is all about practical application. One out of every two verses here is a direct command to do something. It's right belief and right action. And so here he's saying, look at sin, know some things, and then believe it. Again, ask for wisdom and then believe that what God said is true. Do not be deceived. Don't be like the Donner Party. Have the right information. As he ends up here, he says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's his desire for us first fruits. The first fruits, that was uh, when they bring in a harvest, they would take the first and the best of what they brought in and they would give that back to God. And he says, all of us, those who belong, are kind of like the, the first fruits meaning we belong to him, but we're, we're the best. There's a blessing in that. By the word of truth, we're brought forth. Where do we find that wisdom? We find it in the word. Don't be like the Donner party who doesn't know, or don't be like the Christian that knows and just decides to pursue sin. Believe that God knows what's best. Again, who's Lord? Who's Lord of your life? That's how we started this series, and that's what we're going to go all the way through James. The question is, who's Lord? Who's in charge? Is it me? Am I in charge of my own life, or am I going to let Jesus be the one in charge? We, we watched a video about the stool, and, and the, the, the person is, is wanting to give God the stool because whoever sits on the stool is the one that makes all the decisions. That's lordship. And at one point, she's, going, she's kind of wavering, saying, well, okay, Jesus, you make the decisions. Uh, no, I want to do this. And Jesus looks at him, I'm kind of one-cheeking it here. We can't both be on the stool. Who's Lord? Who's going to make these decisions? And so that's our application today. That's what we need to know these things about God and then let Jesus be Lord. Let me pray and we'll worship. Lord Jesus Christ, we believe, as we were singing earlier, we believe that God, you are the Father, you love us. We believe in Christ the Son, Jesus. We believe you died on the cross and you rose for us and life is found in you and only in you. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that you have given us your spirit that we can walk in victory in this life, that you want to live in and through us for your glory. And we believe all the rest. We believe that you want what's best for us. God, the things that you call sin are sin because they're not best for us. And so, God, we believe that. But, God, I ask you, help our unbelief. We believe, but help our unbelief. When we are tempted, help us to believe and help our unbelief. In those moments where we are moving toward that lure, we're going to bite. I pray that you would help us recognize that moment of choice and you would empower us, Holy Spirit, to walk in victory. God, that we would become more and more holy because that glorifies you. God, that we would become more and more like Jesus so that when people see us, they see you and that they will find life in us. God, we, we thank you for your promises and we ask for your blessing, not because we deserve it, but because you're a good God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.